0: Greetings to each one here this morning. <clears throat> we sang a song this morning that just touched my heart. It was number 115. It said, Be silent. Be silent. Sometimes there's just nothing more beautiful than just silence where you can hear God. And it says, is A whisper is heard. <clears throat> And the um, the chorus there says, "Tread softly, tread softly." It's my the master is here. It's my heart's desire this morning that I could tread softly on the word of God. I have a burden on my heart this morning. <clears throat> Not sure exactly how it's going to come out just want to tread softly in the Word of God so that we can hear the Master, we can hear the heart of God. The, uh, the message this morning is kind of a different title. It's Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. As we heard in the children's lesson this morning, it's, it's around this time of the year, when Thomas Jefferson, <clears throat> the president of the what was then the 13 states of the United States, wrote the Declaration of Independence. And in there, in the second paragraph, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And while we enjoy these things a lot, it's beautiful to live in a country where our founding fathers wrote that down. And said that we have the right to live, to be free, to enjoy life. This is a, they, they give us that right that every human being here in the United States of America, if we are a citizen of the United States, we have that unalienable right. In other words, it cannot be transferred from you to someone else. You can't give it away. No one can take it from you. This is your unalienable rights, they say, that you can live, you can have liberty, and you can pursue happiness as you will. That's not a small thing. It costs a lot of blood for that to be here. And and I want to be careful. I mean, that is a beautiful thing. That is a very wonderful thing to live in a free country. Not everybody has that. There are countries in this world that they would give almost anything to have that, and I think we should be careful how we uh, how we um, go against our leaders. I think we should honor them and and, and in the right way. And it's a beautiful thing that we stand today in the year 2020 in this freedom that we have. <clears throat> and while we enjoy these things a lot, is it really? our unalienable right to pursue happiness. In the dark of the night between you and God, is it your right to have life, to have freedom, liberty, to pursue happiness any way that you want to? Is that your right before God? Did our creator God give us that right that's the question here this morning <clears throat> as we ponder those things i would like to turn to first philippians start reading in chapter 1 <clears throat> philippians i believe was written by paul while he was in prison and a lot of times we go to Philippians and, and the book of Philippians as a book of joy and rejoicing. And, and it is that. But it, remember, deep down, it was written by a man that was not free by this world's standards. He was sitting there in prison. His life was at stake. The imperial courts were deciding what in the world to do with this guy. And he knew that at any point in time, they could just decide, you know what? His days on earth are over and we'll just take him out and kill him. And he was in prison, in bonds, waiting for this day. And this is what he wrote to the, to the Philippians. And I think it's very beautiful. Let's just look at a few things here. Paul and Timothy the servant of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi and the bishops and deacons, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And this man's in prison. This man barely has life and he certainly doesn't have liberty. And it's not he does not have the liberty to pursue any type of happiness that his heart may desire. But he's running over with joy. What what is what is this? Verse 7 even as It is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace, for God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve. Things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ into the glory and praise of God. Verse 12 And I would you, uh, I would you should understand, brethren, that these things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. To all the governors and all the, the sheriffs and all the, the men in charge here. And everybody knows. Everybody in high places knows about this Paul. And Paul don't take this lightly. Paul is excited about this. Paul is joyful about this, that the gospel. And later he talks about, and all those in Caesar's household. He's, in the, he, he's almost the man in charge here because he is spreading the gospel within the system. Verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. And there was a right that Paul had to the pursuit of happiness, that he could pursue Jesus Christ and exalt him. That was something that they could not take away. And I think I would like to point that out to us, is even in, for us. Our country says that we have the, the right to pursue Happiness and we can pursue that happiness to be in Christ Jesus. And I don't think it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's, it's tremendously enjoyable to spend a day at the lake and, and get on the boat and the cooler has soft drinks in it and the picnic lunch is packed and the wind is in your hair and you're skimming over the, over the lake with your family and enjoying the day. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all that you live for, brothers and sisters, we've we've kind of missed the mark. And as we look around us on this 4th of July weekend and, and, you know, there's people off of work and there's boats going down the road. There's campers going the other way. There's fireworks going off here and there's things happening over here and there's barbecue smoke over here. And everybody is into this. We can live it up. We have four whole days to live it up. And we have the right to pursue this happiness. And we're going to be happy for four whole days. And as marvelous as that might seem, but that pales in comparison to what Paul had while he was in prison and he was sharing the gospel with those in Caesar's household. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall magnify, be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for, the, for your fatherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. For me, by my coming to you again. <clears throat> Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may. Hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal of God, with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in a fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. For God hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. you know in our natural mind when we think about it we would rather go on a picnic on the lake than to be hung on a cross like Jesus was and that's not wrong that's not wrong we enjoy doing things with our family but in the bigger picture In the bigger scope of things. In the eternal scope of things. I think we need to raise... Sometimes we need to raise our awareness of what we pursue. Not that I think we should pursue being hung on a cross. But somehow... I think Paul had a hold of something here because he had a hold of Jesus because Jesus had a hold of something and that was the Father. And he was full of the Father and and it was of God's overall eternal picture that the human race is lost and will be lost unless there's a Savior. Unless there's someone willing to suffer and die. And like Paul here, here here he is in prison. And he is willing to do this with great joy and rejoicing because he knows that there are people around him that need salvation and it's starting to rub off on them. Verse 9. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And I think basically what he is saying that we need to... Approach life with that same mindset that whether we live or die, if we can make a difference for the kingdom, it should mean an awful lot to us. Chapter... Chapter 3, we're going to jump down to uh, to verse. uh, I don't know where to start here. Eight or nine. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already obtained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, I may if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize and high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any thing ye be otherwise minded, God will reveal even this unto you. <clears throat> Some beautiful truths here in the book of Philippians, written by this man that was in prison, and and sometimes I think we lose sight of those things. We can we can get our eyes over onto what the world around us celebrates the Fourth of July for, and I think we should use this day of liberty. We should use this day of liberty that that has been granted to us an unalienable right to have life and freedom. And pursue happiness. I guess my burden is that we pursue the right thing while we have the freedom to pursue it. And that we, we don't just stop with maybe taking our family to the lake. But we could take our family to the lake and win someone for Jesus maybe. And somehow I think in our day of freedom, sometimes we, we enjoy this freedom so much that we forget... That while we have this freedom, there is a greater cause. There is an eternal cause. There is a true joy. There is a true life. And there is a true liberty. And we don't want to miss that, dear brothers and sisters. We don't want to miss that. And trade that for a picnic at the lake. The picnic at the lake will happen. We'll do that occasionally. But if that's the only thing that we live for, we've missed the mark, dear brothers and sisters. Our joy will be short-lived. Our happiness, we'll need to keep pursuing it because we'll soon run out. That that happiness is a thrill for a day. And tomorrow we'll need another one if if we pursue that happiness. Chapter 4 verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts And minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Paul put a perimeter out there and he said, okay, I will pursue happiness. But it'll be within this circle. First, it has to be honest. It has to be good, lovely, Good report. It has to be some virtue there. That's where I will pursue my joy. That's where I will pursue my happiness within this circle. He said, "Think on these things." <clears throat> he said, "Well, that was easy for him to say, because he's, he's in prison. No, he's not going anywhere. He's dead. He's as good as dead. All they need to do is just decide when they wanted to kill him. Desperately, they just didn't decide when yet and how. <clears throat> Peter says it really beautifully in one Peter four thirteen and fourteen. Said, rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. There is a rejoicing, and I think sometimes <clears throat> in our pursuit of happiness, in our pursuit of joy, we are tempted to think, you know what? If I just had, if I just had as much land as Daryl Beachy has, I would be happy. Or if I had a pickup like you have, or if I have a bike like Marvin has, or if I had a telescope like somebody else has or if i'd have a fishing pole like peter has or if i have really would that bring you happiness Amen. or if i just had a business like larry has or if i had if i had a job like you have or if i if i just had a cabinet shop like lee has then I could be happy. Really? Would that bring you happiness? But we're tempted to think those things. We're tempted to think, you know, if I just, if only, I had a house like, or if I had a garage like, or if I had a this like, you do. Wow, I could just, I would be so happy. Let me tell you, maybe for a moment, maybe for a day, maybe for a year, but if you cultivate those things, if that's what you, what you thrive on, if your joy and happiness is, is centered around those things and then you have, you've come up to about the level where, the, where, the, where Thomas Jefferson said that's where you can go. You can pursue happiness. You've got that unalienable right you got that right. You can buy a boat if you want to. You can have a boat like... Or you can have a... this. Like, you can work hard and you can have anything you want. That's one of your unalienable rights of the, being a United States citizen. If you work hard, you can get anything you want. Pretty well. As long as it's not illegal. <clears throat> but real joy and rejoicing comes... According to the word of God is an action upon your part. You have to choose it. Joy and rejoicing is an action upon your part. It does not. It's not. It is not supposed to. God did not intend it to hinge upon things. It it hinges upon the condition of your heart. Sometime, open your Bible app or get your concordance out and do a search on rejoice. The word rejoice. And it starts in Leviticus. And it says, you shall rejoice in this. Deuteronomy, you shall rejoice. You shall rejoice in all that you put your hand to. You should rejoice in that. No matter what it is. In Deuteronomy again, is you shall rejoice, you, your family, your servants, all of those in your household, and the Levites within your gates. You should be, you should have such an attitude and a choice of rejoicing in the provisions that God has laid in your lap that it should affect the Levites that are in, well within your gates. I guess the Levites lived among the other people, or I, I didn't. Look that up. But in Job, rejoice. Ye shall rejoice. And it's over and over and over. And and God rejoicing, the word rejoice and rejoicing is almost found 200 times in the King James Version Bible. It's something that you need to make a conscious choice that you are going to have a rejoicing attitude no matter are you in in prison with Paul and Silas, is your life at stake, is your freedom at stake, but you can still choose within your heart to have a heart of rejoicing. Does that make any sense? Paul did it. Silas did it. Daniel did it. Joseph did it. You know what? As I was going through that list, and I was just thinking. The next time that we are grumpy and grouchy or something doesn't go our way, we should discipline ourselves to take our concordance or our Bible app and find the first 20 verses in the Bible that talk about rejoicing and we should take a piece of paper and copy those over. Twenty verses. I don't think you could get farther than that, and then you would just shake your head and say, God wants me to rejoice. Not because of my circumstances, but in spite of them. Can also note no, no uh, copy and paste either, and putting it in a notebook. That don't work. Copy it by hand. If you want something to stick in your mind and take a piece of paper and an old-fashioned pen and you write it out. There's something that transpires through your brain and your hand and your mind and your heart if you write it down. Believe me. If you just take a modern gadget and you just copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Okay, I did that. Got it. Next. It's not going to it's it's not gonna stick in your heart like it does if you write it down. That's why my wife makes notes all the time and she thinks I should too. I would remember things. If you write it down, you will remember it. Remember that. A rejoicing heart is a heart that is pleasing to God. A heart that can rejoice in spite of its circumstances is a heart that is pleasing to God. I'm convinced of that. A rejoicing heart is an optimistic heart. Optimism and optimistic is not a Bible term. That's a modern day term. But the, the concept is there. Paul says in First in, in Corinthians 7, he says, what? Beareth all things? What? Believeth all things? All things. Hopeth. All things. How can you be rejoicing when you doubt everything, you don't believe everything, and you don't endure anything, and everybody else is against you and you have a victim attitude? Can you have a rejoicing heart while you're a victim? Can you have a rejoicing heart when when your optimism has just gone down the drain? and you have no optimism for for you little children that don't know what optimism is optimism is like you um how could i say this where a child could understand it you're hopeful you you just believe it's going to happen it's just you just know that you when you go to somebody's house they'll have a bike to ride or in other words you just Optimistic. But a rejoicing heart is an optimistic heart. Believes all things. Rejoices in things. If you allow your heart to dwell on the dark side of life, you will soon lose all your optimism and you will lose your ability to rejoice. when you find yourself in that situation, and now, okay, there. let me back up and qualify what I'm going to say next. If you are not a Christian, if you've not been born again, and if you're loaded down with guilt, and then that's just, your, your dark and gloomy days are con, uh, condemnation and conviction coming down from the Spirit of God upon your life for you to change. Then you need to repent. But for the Christian who has been born again, and is not burdened down with sin, but just can't see the bright side of day. It's just always cloudy. It's just, uh, it's just, if only. And I have to admit, I've been tempted. to. That. I mean, there's times I get to work and I, all I can think, I just want to find something to gripe about. This trim is just like, or this, uh, or these doors are so heavy, or or this mud is so deep, or, or whatever. And we can fall into that trap without trying, brothers and sisters. But while we are doing that, we lose our joy and our rejoicing, and we get our eyes on our circumstances, and we just like, we can't see the, the sunshine if it did shine. And I think we need to repent of those things and get out of them. We need to take an optimistic, optimism pill. You ever hear one of those? This is not original with me, okay? I'm not this smart, but I read this somewhere. The optimism pill is this. Every morning, in your private time, in your quiet time before God, take a sheet of paper and a a pencil. Again, you write these things down. You list five things that you are genuinely thankful for today. Five things, only five things. Just write them down. My wife, and my house, and my car, and my whatever. Five things. That's it. And go on with your day. Tomorrow morning, you list five things that you are genuinely thankful for. And go on with your day. And the next day, you do it again. And if you have to overlap, if you can't remember five new things, you can be thankful again for the three you had yesterday. But keep adding to your list. And within a short period of time, you will discover that your optimism is going up. And your rejoicing goes right with it. Your ability to rejoice is hinged so connectedly, so closely to how optimistic you are in life. That's not original with me, but I just share it. Yeah, and I too want to start doing that just anytime soon now. I mean, I've not done that. I mean, I've... I I want to do that. I think it would be good for me to do that. And you think, well, five things a day, that's not hard. No, it's not. do not even cost a lot. But supposedly that is supposed to make your optimism soar to the clouds. And your rejoicing can go right there with it. And you can be glad for the things that you have. I don't believe that it is, I don't believe that God frowns on us having things God the word says that it is his good pleasure to give us those things the daily necessary things that we need but i think what grieves the heart of god is when he supplies this for you and you're just like yeah i wish i had this i wish it was better Have your children ever done that to you? You give them a, a piece of cake or a cookie. Oh, I like raisin cookies. Surely we would never do that. But we do that to God. Do you ever think about that? You know, God supplies us with a roof over our head. He supplies us with clothes to wear. He supplies us with all these beautiful things. And we're like this shirt isn't the kind I like. Don't ever buy me one of these again. I don't like this shirt. And I think sometimes we need to just say, God, thank you. I got five shirts in my closet. Probably got 15. And there's people in this world that don't have two. And they could care less if they're Calvin Klein or Old Navy or whatever. If it, a shirt's a shirt to the poor man, and I think we can get caught up in those little things like that, and we lose our we lose our, our rejoicing, and it takes the it takes the joy out of life. And God's just like, hmm. We live in America, and we have all these things. We should be the most rejoicing people in the world, and I'm not saying you're not. I'm just looking at myself. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, there's so many things in my life I just need to start being thankful for. I've just, I think I have so many things that I have, I have, um, there's a, there's a scientific term, and I, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to some of you, but your body produces dopamine. It's a chemical that your body produces when, when something good happens, and it makes you feel good. But they say that you can dull the dopamine receptors in your brain, that it no longer does that if you overload that receptor with dopamine. And I think we live in a time of the great dulling of the dopamine receptors. We have so many things that we are no longer thankful for the little ones and we just, we, we, we let it get away. We just, oh. It's like you've seen a, a child that has too many toys and, and they don't take care of them. They step on them, they throw them around, they, you give them a model airplane, a beautiful thing that's pretty fragile, And their highest joy is to make it fly and crash into the wall. I'm like, that that was not to fly, my little boy. That was a beautiful toy. You should have appreciated that enough. I'm just using these examples, and sometimes we can do that in our own lives with things that our Heavenly Father abundantly showers upon us, and we just let it get away. I... Came across a verse in Ecclesiastes here a while back. I'm not going to turn there. It's Ecclesiastes 6 if you want to look it up later. But Solomon says, There is an evil in the land. It's an evil. I've seen this, and it's an evil disease. And he said, God supplies riches. To many men, I'm just saying this in my own words. That maybe I should turn there so I don't misquote it. But he said somehow God doesn't give them the ability to eat of it and they lose it. He said this is an evil disease. And I, I thought about that and I thought about that and I'm like, you know what? It's that same concept that the little boy that has too many toys... And he just steps on them, he loses them, he leaves them in the mud puddle, and somebody drives over it, and, the, and the two weeks later, he don't have any toys anymore. He's lost them. You know why? Because they don't mean anything to him. And he's, he's lost the ability to be joyful, thankful, and appreciative of the little thing that he had. The poor little boy's dopamine receptors were dulled. By too many toys. Okay? I'm just using that to make a point. When God gives us great things and small things, if we're not thankful and rejoicing in that small thing, we will lose it. Guaranteed. You will leave it behind one day. You will throw it away. You will give it away. You will lose it. And I don't think God wants us to be hoarders. He wants us to share. In the chapter just before that, Solomon saw another evil in the land and he said, God supplied riches and they just had them for themselves. They heaped it on themselves. And he knew that God supplies us with things so that we have to share. That's not what I'm talking about. If you share them, If you give something away and share it in a way because you have a benevolent heart and you want to share your riches or your stuff with someone else, that's a whole different story than to just lose it because it means nothing to you. I believe God wants us as a rejoicing people. I'm convicted of my lack of joy in my life. I'm convicted of my lack of rejoicing in the little things in life. I'm convicted of of not being thankful for the things that God has given me in my hand. I spend too many of my days remembering and that's, and that's just one of the things that brought this message through this avenue of Ecclesiastes 6. I happened to see that and I was so convicted of all the things that God supplied in my life and that I no longer have in my hand because I walked away. I, was, I spent too many years of my life leaning into the wind, desperate to see what's over the next hill and I didn't have time to appreciate and hang on to and work with the things that God has put in my hands, even at a young age. Just the other day I was thinking, well, I wonder what happened to that. Well, I wonder what happened to that. I don't know. Well, I wonder who got that. I used to have a, almost a brand new Toyota forklift, 6,000 pound diesel dually unload trucks. I wonder what happened to that. Anyway, and I started thinking on that, and I saw that in Ecclesiastes there where, where Solomon said, this is a great evil. And I concluded that we, we, it comes out of a dissatisfied, unrejoicing, pessimistic heart covetous to the core that if I only had that and if I only had that and I could run after that and see, maybe I could catch that. The first thing I knew, I lost what I had behind me. And maybe I'm only preaching to myself, but if I am, then that's, that's okay. But I think God would have me to have more of a rejoicing, optimistic, thankful heart for every little thing that God has laid in my hand. Every brother and sister that God has brought into my life. I have walked away from relationships and friends, people that I haven't called for years, and I just quit going around them for some reason, and I just don't even know them anymore. We used to have a beautiful relationship. We used to be able to set and share the things of God and and just rejoice in the Lord and whatever. And one day, I'm no longer around that person and he's no longer around me and I've just lost that relationship because I wasn't thankful for it. And you fill in the blanks. I mean, this, this thing can affect us in a thousand different ways. But unless we're thankful and rejoicing in something, we will soon lose it. In closing, I'm going to go back to Philippians 4, verse 4 again. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's what I want for my heart. That's what I want for my dear brothers and sisters. I want us to be a rejoicing people, a thankful people, an optimistic people. A people that believeth all things, beareth all things, endureth all things, hopeth all things. Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. May God bless you.